0: Dancer, there goes their own Philly winning colors, grabbing the lead right from the start. Carrie Stevens sends her to the front, and she responds, taking command by
1: a link. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this episode is called When Winning Colors Won It for the Girls. This story centers around a very talented girl who beat the boys at their own game and won the Kentucky Derby the most prestigious horse race in the U.S., and one dominated by males. That girl being a very special three-year-old filly named, Winning Colors. The odds of any filly winning the Kentucky Derby are very low because male and female horses, like people, are built different. But every now and then, a girl comes along and turns the racing world upside down, and that's what Winning Colors did in 1988, and she deserves a story here. Every girl in today's world should hear stories like this one because it can help give them the courage and heart to stand up to boys who tend to be pushy or take pleasure in competing in organized girls' sports against girls. I also think it's good for young girls and guys to know something about horse racing, which has been called the sport of kings, how it works, and its traditions and stories. Because knowledge is a good thing, and, as the old saying goes, the more you know, the more you grow, and you're never too old to learn. And horse racing is pretty exciting stuff, especially when you have a little background knowledge to help you. If you've never been to the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, or the Belmont Stakes, you should put it on your bucket list. It's all tradition and excitement. My mother-in-law was pretty high up on the ladder of racing knowledge. She was a Long Island, New York girl, and she kept a close eye on Belmont Track and the racing forms. She knew who the jockeys, owners, and trainers were, and kept an eye on certain horses that were coming up. She only bet on long shots, and her bets never exceeded $2 a bet. She didn't bet often, but when she did, she usually won, turning her $2 into 20 or so fairly often. One of her favorite jockeys was Gary Stevens, whose name will be coming up later. She also talked about jockeys Bill Shoemaker, Steve Cawthon, Pat Day. And others. She taught me how to look for winners, and our horse racing conversations and sometimes trips to off track betting or Belmont solidified our relationship and gave us something in common to talk about. It's a man's world, they say, and girls have to fight for everything they get. That's especially true in horse racing. In the past 132 runnings of the Kentucky Derby, only three girl horses have won it. They were three years old, which, in the horse and racing world, earns them the name fillies. When they turn four, they're called mares, and racing is not far from becoming a part of their past. The first filly to win the Kentucky Derby, also called the Run for the Roses, by the way, was called Regret. She was born in 1912 and won the Derby in 1915. She raced 11 times in her career and won nine of those and finished second in one of them. She was full of heart and was never beaten by another girl. Then there was Genuine Risk, who was a chestnut filly that won the 1980 Kentucky Derby, 65 years after Regret's win. She was sired by Exclusive Native and owned by Diana Firestone. She was trained by Leroy Jolly, who had also trained the 1975 Kentucky Derby winner Foolish Pleasure. Genuine Risk was fast and powerful, she was a filly who captured the hearts of racing fans with her impressive performances. Then comes the 1988 Kentucky Derby and a gray filly named Winning Colors. She was big and strong and known for her speed and toughness on the track. Every year, the Kentucky Derby brings the fastest thoroughbreds from around the world to Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky for a high-stakes showdown to kick off the competition for the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown is a very prestigious award given to the three-year-old thoroughbred that wins the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes in Baltimore, and the Belmont Stakes in New York in a single year. Only 13 horses have accomplished that feat since 1875. The most recent winner was Justify in 2018. But horse racing fans who have been around for a while can remember Secretariat, American Pharaoh, Affirmed, and Seattle Slough. No filly has ever won the Triple Crown, but if it ever happens, there will be a media storm such as you've rarely ever seen. One thing courageous girls never have trouble getting is attention. By the way, the 1980 winner, Genuine Risk, did place in all three of those races. Place, meaning coming in first, second, or third in a race. I know you're wondering where winning colors placed in the Triple Crown races. After winning the Derby, she placed 3rd in the Preakness and ran 6th in the Belmont. In the history of the Kentucky Derby, 39 fillies have been entered in that race. Gold Maine was the first to run in 1875, and the most recent was 8 Bells, who made a heartbreaking try at it in 2008. She came in 2nd to Big Brown. She came in 2nd to a horse named Big Brown and collapsed later in the race, breaking her heart trying to win. So yes, There is heartbreak in racing as well, and for that reason there are lots of activists working against that sport. Some say horses love to race the same as dogs love to hunt. I'll leave that for you to decide as you listen to Winning Colors' story. The road to qualifying for the Derby is a long and arduous one, and it's tough for fillies to break through. Most filly contenders choose to run in the Kentucky Oaks, a stakes race exclusively for fillies, which runs the day before the Derby every year. The Derby is a different kind of race, a race of one and a quarter miles, requiring strength and stamina far beyond the average to win. If a filly was to win the Derby, she would have to be well-bred and very well-trained. D. Wayne Lucas, born in 1935 in Antigua, Wisconsin, is one of the best-known horse trainers in the business and has trained four Kentucky Derby winners, Thunder Gulch, Grindstone, Charismatic, and Winning Colors, which was his first winner. He is still active in the business. He took a lot of slings and arrows for giving Phillies a chance in the Derby. He was the first trainer in history to enter two Phillies in the Kentucky Derby. In 1984, the two he entered did well at the start, but they were just too tired after that mile and a quarter and finished 15th and 19th. Despite winning 131 races and smashing the all-time money-winning record for a single racing season, he had failed to win for the sixth time in the world's most well-known race with a filly. Lucas knows and loves horses. He was a former bareback bronc rider and raced quarter horses as a jockey when he was younger. He was a cowboy who rose up to the ranks, training first on the rodeo circuit, then the cheap track quarter horse circuit, spending years sleeping in the beds of pickup trucks, He was, image-wise, straight out of George Strait's song, Amarillo by Morning," But today he rubs shoulders with millionaire owners at auctions and works with his son Jeff in the business. All winners start somewhere with some one, and for trainer Lucas and the filly who is to become known as Winning Colors, the beginning took place at the Keeneland Sales Pavilion next to the Keeneland Racetrack in Lexington, Kentucky in 1986. Lucas arrived with California billionaire Eugene Klein, who had recently sold his Seattle Supersonics NBA team and his San Diego Chargers to focus on horse racing. The sheiks of Dubai were there, armed to the teeth with what seemed like countless millions to buy thoroughbreds. There was Greek oil magnate Stavros Niakros and dozens of other well-heeled millionaires and billionaires gathered for the excitement of the auction. Sometimes a horse slips through for a good price, It's rare, but it happened with Seattle Slough, who was sold for $17,500 as a yearling and went on to win the Triple Crown. On this day, Lucas and Klein bid on some good-looking horse flesh, but were outbid by oil money, and were looked down upon by Kentucky Blue Bloods as well as Sheik's, probably because Klein was Jewish. One never knows. One horse went for $10,200,000. Klein had opened the building at $1 million and watched quietly as it soon passed $8 million. The realization that the oil-rich Arabs were spending money like water sunk in quickly. But Klein and Lucas were duty-bound to get the upper hand in one way or another, and Lucas was very, very sharp at picking horses. And he wasn't fixed on looking only at colts. Despite his loss two years ago running two fillies, he hadn't softened on his idea that a filly, trained right, could go all the way at the derby. At one point there was a commotion as a steel gray filly was led out onto the auction stage and was kicking up a fuss. Two additional handlers were brought out, and one made the mistake of grabbing her left ear, causing her to rear and kick, knocking one of the handlers to the auction floor. That handler would later tell a reporter that he had seen her bite two male horses earlier while being led to her holding pen. She was not slim and trim like most one-year-old fillies. Instead, she was heavily muscled in the hindquarters. She was grunting loudly and violently throwing her head from side to side and upwards, at one point pulling her handler off his feet. Then bidding opened at $100,000, and Klein told Lucas to go as far as two fifty. Lucas had already communicated to Klein that this was the top horse as far as he was concerned and to give him an open path to bid, which Klein did, following the bidding up to $575,000. When the gavel slammed, Klein owned a filly, and Lucas had a temperamental girl to work with. Klein rushed to a private spot to call his wife with the good news. His wife asked him when he called, So how much did you pay for this unraced one-year-old filly? Klein answered with the cost and added, Yes, honey, we were way over budget, but hell, buying horses was your idea, and I just wanted you to be happy. We'll return to Remembering Winning Colors and the 1988 Kentucky Derby, right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. Winning Colors was a high-strung filly. She bucked and she bit, and it was a long time before she would accept a halter. Lucas assigned her to Luis Palos, a young, hard-working groomer in the spring of 1986. He told Palos, the father of three, that working with her would be difficult and dangerous and require a good deal of his time. It would also require lots of air travel. It would also mean a change in the groomer's pay. The 25-year-old immigrant from Mexico City accepted the job gladly. Luis believed in this horse, and he set aside a little bit from every paycheck to save for betting on her. We'll let you know how that worked out for him just ahead. Their home base was Santa Anita Racetrack in California. As an aside, when I was six years old, we lived in Arcadia, California, and I could hear the starting bugle at Santa Anita. We were that close, and that's one of my early memories. As winning colors aged, she got stronger and bigger. Seasoned horsemen in the barn, looking at her when she reached two, couldn't believe she was a filly. In fact, she looked more like a full-grown four-year-old male. Luis treated her as if she belonged to him, "'even asking his wife Mariana to pack special treats in his lunchbox "'to give to the filly every day. "'He was known to have told Mariana, "'If you forget to pack the treat, she will kill me. "'Really, she will kill me.' "'On his first day working with Winning Colors, he had grabbed her ear, "'and she responded by throwing her head into him suddenly, "'giving him a black eye and a bloody lip. "'He treated Winning Colors with tenderness "'and kept everyone away from her for their own safety.' Although the Lucas Barn was modern and probably one of the best in the business, the hours were long and the work was hard and dangerous. Louis would travel everywhere with winning colors. Racing has its seasons, as summer is the biggest, requiring the longest trips, trips to Saratoga in upstate New York, to Keeneland Racetrack in Lexington, Kentucky, and Del Mar in San Diego. At age two, Winning Colors was being trained for her first race at Saratoga against the best fillies in the sport. She was scheduled to run against 13 other fillies in that race. As Luis walked her under halter around the infield paddock and handed her off to the jockey, a local named Randy P. Romero, the jockey's eyes opened wide when Winning Colors was introduced to him. Luis told him, just hold on and don't fall off. She'll do the rest, and if you fall off, You owe me nine hundred dollars, which is what I've already bet on her. This was a seven-eighths of a mile track. On the way to the post, Winning Colors lunged at two other horses, then calmly entered stall three. When the bell rang and the gate snapped open, Romero's legs felt like they were being pulled out of the saddle irons. In ten strides, she was a half a length in front of the field. She ran the first quarter at an extremely fast pace for a two-year-old filly and Romero was worried she would tire her in the last leg, so he held her back a little to save her strength for the long home stretch, which the jockeys called the Graveyard of Champions. Winning Colors was flying out in front of the rest of the fillies, holding a four-horse-length lead on her closest rival. Luis, at the finish line, was jumping up and down, yelling, Go Mamacita, as she pounded toward the wire, three lengths ahead of the closest horse. Luis would later pick up $2,700 for that $900 investment tripling his bet, and trainer Lucas and owner Klein were ecstatic. Lucas knew he had a good thing going with winning colors, and though he'd been criticized for overworking his horses in the past, he flew winning colors and Luis back to Santa Anita on his private jet and stabled her at Santa Anita until December, when she would run her second race. There was a lot of temptation to race her as racehorses' careers were short. They race at ages two and three and four, and that's it so there were only a couple years in which to make money, other than in breeding. Things in the 80s were a lot different than 50 years ago, when Seabiscuit raced 35 times just as a two-year-old. A five-month layoff, like Winning Colors was enjoying, would be considered a bad wager, but Lucas knew that with the right daily training, she was only getting stronger and faster, and some of that was coming as she grew older. He no doubt was thinking of the big prize, her being able to run against Colts at the Derby. But first, she had to qualify and win some important races. Lucas's go-to jockey was young Gary Stevens, who had spent the past year recovering from a riding accident, suffered right there at Santa Anita, but he was now 100% fit and ready to ride. Stevens was American, making him an exception among jockeys, and he was a very good jockey who had worked his way up in racing since age 12. Now, in December of 1986, At Santa Anita, winning colors had drawn the unlucky position of the number one stall, which is located right on the rail, meaning closest to the track rail border, where, if the horse doesn't get a good start, they can be bullied back and blocked by the other horses. Lucas told Stevens before the race, She's like a storm. She can seem peaceful and relaxed, but anything can set her off, and she becomes a maniac. I know. Sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Lucas continued. Just keep her away from noise and motion, or you'll be sitting on a tornado. She's big and tough, and also very fragile. Winning colors seemed calm and focused as she entered the gate. She waited calmly while the other horses stopped and banged against their gates trying to get in place. The jockeys yelling, Espera! Espera! Wait! Wait! The bell clanged, and the gates popped open. Winning colors exploded out of the gate, and within five seconds she was in front by nearly three lengths. Stevens just rode. He didn't push her. In fact, he soon had to hold her back a bit to save her energy for the finish, or so he thought. There was one left-hand turn left to the race, and when she swept around it, she was leading by three and a half lengths. She passed the wire four lengths ahead of the closest horse. She still wanted to run. Stevens said she wasn't even breathing hard. She couldn't have blown out a candle if he'd held it under her nose. After dismounting, Stevens told fellow jockey Jorge Velasquez, That horse has attitude. I'm going to win the derby with her. Velasquez was older with more years of experience. He answered Stevens dryly, saying, You don't know what it takes to win a derby. Two days after Christmas, 1987, Luis, winning colors groom, and two of his buddies pooled their money most of it being Luis's, and drove to Las Vegas to put money down on winning colors to win the Kentucky Derby. The bookmakers list the top 300 choices most likely to have a shot at qualifying for the Derby, the biggest race of the year, and the track bookmakers will accept bets early. Of course, of those 300 horses, only a few will actually qualify and end up running in the Derby. The long odds are the best when the race is still months away, for the simple reason that a lot can happen in five months. There were other races to run first. There was the danger of injury or sickness. And a horse race is like any other sporting event, there is no sure thing. The odds were one hundred to one against the Philly, when Luis placed his bet. They put down two thousand dollars. The bookmaker printed the ticket, handed it to Luis, and wished them luck. A win at these odds would pay them back nearly two hundred thousand dollars. Beginning January 1 of 1988, all two-year-olds turned three, regardless of their birth date. Winning Colors was born in March of 1985, so she turned on New Year's Day, and Lucas had plans for her. Her first big race was at Santa Anita. At the start of each year, the top thoroughbred three-year-olds attempt to qualify for the Triple Crown. The race at Santa Anita was the sentinel of stakes for newly turned three-year-olds, and Winning Colors was no secret to handicappers, who put her at three to five odds, meaning for every five dollars you spend on her, you can win three dollars in profit. Another way to look at it, you can get eight dollars back on a five dollar bet to win, whichever way you want to look, on a five dollar bet to win. Her jockey from now on would be Gary Stevens, and he knew that his main goal would be to hold her back just enough so that she would still have lots of speed and stamina for the last leg of each race. D. Wayne Lucas's son Jeff was the day-to-day connection between Luis and Winning Colors, Gary Stevens, and Lucas. Owner Klein and Lucas were running a hundred horses that year, and although Winning Colors was one of, if not the big attraction, their focus was split among all of them. January twentieth came, and the race was about to begin. Winning Colors was loaded into the gate, and when the bell rang and the gate opened, she blasted into the lead. She was running full power down the backstretch. Jockey Stevens. gently using the reins to signal her to save energy, but she kept running flat out until suddenly she grasped what he was asking and relaxed slightly. There were six other fillies in that race and she was four lengths ahead of the closest. At the last turn he relaxed the reins and whispered to her, "Okay, let's go, girl!" and she poured it on gladly, her body stretching low, her front legs gobbling up turf, and crossing the finish line six and a half lengths ahead of the second place filly. Stevens was elated because of the way she reacted and understood his commands. He knew from that point on that this horse loved to run and could accept instructions. And what a horse! This was a champion. Next came another stakes race at Santa Anita on February 20th, and in this race, winning colors broke into the lead out of the gate, but this time was challenged by another fast filly, Bolchina. For the first time in her life, Winning colors had found a worthy rival. Bolchina had gained the advantage of the inside rail, causing winning colors to fan outwards. They both, along with their jockeys, were forced to give their all early in the race. By the second turn, they were extending a lot of energy trying to keep up with each other. In third place, a horse called Goodbye Halo, ridden by Jorge Velasquez, was waiting the opportunity of seeing both horses in the lead, tire out. Velasquez, Entering the final stretch one length behind Winning Colors, urged Goodbye Halo forward, trying to come up on the inside, but Winning Colors saw it and blocked his path. Goodbye Halo countered this by pinning Winning Colors close to the rail. Stevens had never used a whip on Winning Colors, but he did this time. But Goodbye Halo had gained a half-length a lead by the time they reached the wire, and Winning Colors had to settle for second place for the first time. At Santa Anita, in the days and weeks after the race, Jeff oversaw Winning Colors' training as Louise stayed busy with her, getting her ready for training, advising her exercise riders, and taking her for a long walk, at the end of which came a slow, warm bath, followed by a combing that made her great coat shine. Sometimes Gary Stevens would show up, and Winning Colors always got excited when he was there because they'd formed a bond during the first races. When his voice was heard in the stables, she'd get restless, knowing that she would be getting a chance to do some starts out of the gate with him. The track people called her the Amazon for her size and strength, and she was impressive to watch when she ran. Sometimes owner Gene Klein would come and have dinner with Jeff Lucas at the Santa Anita Steakhouse and catch up on Winning Colors training. Klein was six foot five inches tall. He was born in the Bronx to Russian immigrant parents who sold encyclopedias door-to-door to survive. He became a salesman, started a used car lot with three cars, and built it up into a Volvo dealership, then created a national movie theater syndicate with 250 theaters. Then he built an NBA franchise, and then bought an NFL team, the San Diego Chargers. He finally sold it because of player problems. He just couldn't deal with their personalities. As an example, one day his coach came to him, saying they had big problems with one of the star players. The coach told him, he won't play unless I give him a Cadillac. He says he's important to the team, as are you, and that you drive a Cadillac, so he should have one too. So Klein asked the coach, what do you think we should do? Klein was fuming, but they had a big game coming up that week, and he needed that star running back. He bought him a new Cadillac. The player ran for 110 yards, but they lost the game anyway. It was the beginning of a host of headaches, and Klein finally sold the team, wanting to get into horse racing, where he hoped there would be less squabbles and less personality problems, and he was right. On March 13, 1988, Winning Colors ran her third big race, and she wasn't favored to win, mostly because Goodbye Halo, who had beaten her last time, was in the race. Winning Colors was given two-to-one odds. The track was a mile and a sixteenth a little longer than her previous races. Winning Colors needed to win this one if she was going to remain in the hunt for the derby. When Louise walked her out into the paddock before the race, Winning Colors saw Goodbye Halo, snorted and whirled on her hindquarters, tearing the lead rope from Louise's hands. Stevens mounted her and cantered her down the backstretch for the warm-up, and she was calm and steady. When it came time to enter the gate, fans could see it was only a four-horse race. Other filly owners had seen no point in entering against Goodbye Halo and Winning Colors. At the bell, both horses exploded out of the gate, and Winning Colors took the lead. Stevens just hung on. She needed no encouragement in this race. But Goodbye Halo and another filly named Jean Jones were in hot pursuit, and Goodbye Halo managed to catch up at one point, and they both ran the first quarter and half mile in record time. Stephen's hands went up under Winning Colors' mane as he urged her on, and her body flattened slightly as her strides got long and her speed increased. By the time they passed the three-quarter mark, Goodbye Halo began to fall back. She just couldn't keep up that pace over that distance. Winning Colors pulled away by three lengths, then four, five, seven, then eight, and nine lengths, leaving the other fillies far behind her. Luis, Wayne Lucas, His son Jeff and Klein were ecstatic. One more race, the Santa Anita Derby, with its $500,000 purse, and this one against Colts, was needed to put winning colors on the win list, and she would be running in the Kentucky Derby in May if she won. The Kentucky Derby has been called the greatest two minutes in history, and it is a grand affair. It's a race against three-year-olds and it's still one of the most celebrated sports events of all time. The men and women who attend come dressed in their finest, mint juleps are the customary drink, and the grandstands, built in the late 1800s, still carry the grandeur of another time. For many years before television, horse racing and boxing were the biggest sports, and the celebrities that participated in those venues were huge stars. On April 9, 1988, winning colors, wearing a number 5 saddlecloth and a white bridle, was led toward the gate by jockey Gary Stevens. This was a mile and an eighth, the longest race yet for winning colors. In the stands were hundreds of new fans, women and young girls, most of them there to cheer on winning colors in her effort to beat the boys. The L.A. Times had provided some articles covering winning colors' rise to prominence in a male-dominated sport and had positioned winning colors in this race similarly to the efforts of tennis star... Billie Jean King against Bobby Riggs in what was billed as the tennis match of the century. Banners reading Girl Power and Beat the Boys were present everywhere. As winning colors neared the gate, some of the competing jockeys, knowing winning colors could be distracted, cracked their whips against their boots in an effort to upset her. Stevens, in his yellow silks, steered her away from them. It was a beautiful day there in the shadow of the San Gabriel Mountains, the same ones I would look out upon from our back living room window when I was a boy. There were eight colts in this race, all finely muscled and fast, as this was a high-stakes race. When the bells sounded, winning colors blew out of the gate, getting ahead of the others until one caught up, forcing her onto the post, where she was actually comfortable. Lafitte Pinquet, riding another Lucas horse, and legend Bill Shoemaker were pushing their horses to the max, and those in the know seeing how fast this race was being run, were worried that all of them would spend their energy before the finish line. The fractions of time showing on the infield tote board were bringing gasps from those in the know. Stevens, on Winning Colors, just gave her her head and let her run. They were burning up the track, and as she entered the final left-hand turn, Winning Colors was leading the field by four lengths. The crowd was seeing history taking place, This kind of dominance of a female horse in a high-stakes race was an extreme rarity. The women and girls in the stands were standing, screaming with joy, as their girl thundered toward the finish line. It was the last eighth of a mile that held any chance for Shoemaker's horse as well as the others, and they urged their mounts to close with Winning Colors now. But it wasn't long before they could see that they were running for second-place money. The track announcer's voice boomed out, Winning Colors is turning out an exceptional performance. But it was drowned in cheers from the stands as winning colors crossed the finish line with a blistering seven and a half lengths ahead of the nearest Colt, carrying the hopes of California fans skyward and eventually eastward to Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky. The 1988 Kentucky Derby was the most anticipated derby since 1973 when headline-grabbing Secretariat came to race in what would be the first of his Triple Crown runs. But this 1988 Derby had a winning filly coming to win the Roses, and the talk among all fans and odds makers and track experts was how she would affect the race. She was not only a fast starter, but she remained fast. If the other horses let her have her way uncontested, that could slow the race down, giving them all a chance on the final leg. But then again, she would have more energy in the last lap as well. If the others tried to keep up with her in the first half, they ran the risk of burning up on the home stretch. There was no strategy to beat her, other than hoping she would draw a bad pole position and have to fight for that early lead. Louise walked her onto the horse's stall at the airport a few days ahead of the race, and she was soon lifted hydraulically, in her box stall, onto the plane. She was at ease through it all. The presence of four other horses seemed to calm her, and it was a good six-hour-plus flight to Kentucky. In Louisville, movie stars, professional athletes, oil sheiks, politicians, horse owners, and track aficionados, as well as regular fans, gathered days before the race to mingle, party, and debate winners and losers, and the minds of each and every person was winning colors. In a girls race, she might have been a 10-to-1 favorite, but this was a race featuring the best male horses in the country. Winning colors was good, yes, and she had proven herself, but many betters just couldn't rise above the natural prejudice against female horses. They could talk a good game, but when it came to laying out betting money, well, the attitude was, well, let's get real here. Lucas, Klein, and Gary Stevens met the week of the derby and discussed how best to handle the media. There were lots of negative comments about their girl, and they decided not to try to change any minds. That would drive the odds up on her. And maybe the owners, trainers, and jockeys would underestimate winning colors, which would help her get an early lead. Stevens piped up and said he was hearing talk from the other jockeys about the one-and-a-quarter-mile track. They didn't think she'd make it after running fast the entire race. She would burn out on the final stretch, they said. Klein rubbed his hands together and said, Good, let them think that. If she gets the early lead, she'll kick their asses. They all walked out pledging quiet treatment of the press. Gary Stevens told his family they needed to come. He was going to win the derby. And he wanted them to be there. And they came. On pre-race day, Jeff Lucas asked Luis for the reins so he could walk Winning Colors along the road near the stable area. It turned out to be a bad decision. A motorcycle went by on the road and backfired. Winning Colors bolted and pulled Lucas off his feet, dragging him toward the stable. His knees and elbows were quickly torn and bleeding, but he hung on, knowing that to let go could cause a disaster. When she finally pulled up, he searched her body with his hands to see if she was cut or bleeding. She was unscarred. Jeff limped her back to Luis, who grabbed her halter. That night, Louise slept beside her just in case she had any issues that night, but she didn't. As mentioned earlier, there is a big Philly race held the day before the Derby, and it's called the Oaks Race. Serious fans keeping watch saw Goodbye Halo win that one by three and a quarter lengths. They also knew that Winning Colors had beat Goodbye Halo in the last race by seven and a half lengths. The Derby saw a huge line of fans waiting to get in on the day of the race at 6.30 a.m., and many of them were women and girls, the biggest turnout they'd ever had. Winning Colors was turning out to be a blessing for horse racing, which had taken a lot of criticism in the past, and women all across America were going to be watching the race on TV and rooting for their girl. NBC had a team of their top broadcasters on hand to interview Eugene and Joyce Klein, Gary Stevens, and D. Wayne Lucas. Lucas had never won a derby. He had his detractors and one named Woody Stevens, the trainer of the Horse 49er, and an old hat at the races who felt he could criticize anyone without being called on it, was heard to tell the press, winning colors doesn't belong in the derby and will not win the race. When Lucas was asked to respond to that comment, he answered, I don't expect 49er to be able to handle the derby distance. And the press made the most out of the verbal feud. At 6.30 p.m. that evening on the day of the race, May 7, 1988, Luis led winning colors out onto the track to the applause of 150,000 people. Gary Stevens wore his bright yellow silks with blue sleeves, and the crowd sang, My Old Kentucky Home which is the tradition there. Soon, 17, 1,000-pound-plus animals would be hurtling down the track, each one fighting for the lead. Lucas was walking toward the paddock when a smart-mouthed fan yelled, You're O for 13, Lucas! O for 13! Lucas ignored him and sought out a small space next to the press box which held a small TV. A reporter showed his face around the corner and asked, How are you going to watch this race on that small screen? Lucas answered, She's gray, and she'll be in front the whole way. Should be easy. He couldn't have given a better answer, or a truer one. 49er drew the worst post position at 17. The gates were loaded, and the bell rang.
0: Between horses, Din's Dancer. There goes their own Philly winning colors, grabbing the lead right from the start. Carrie Stevens sends her to the front, and she responds, taking command by a length on the far outside. Pat Bay has 49er in second. Din's Dancer is next at the rail, it's seeking the gold for it. Then a bit of a, a bobbling between C Trek and on the outside, Purdue King. They're in tight quarters as they go to the first turn. Chris McCann, Chris. Uh, Antley looking for a bit of racing up around the first turn. He's five wide with the the favorite private terms. Now back to the front end, and it's the Philly winning colors showing the way by three. 49er content to sit second by a half length. Seeking the gold is third by one. Then Dim's Dancer is fourth by a head. Trek on the outside fifth. Proper Reality, the winner of the Arkansas Derby is along the inside and moving up steadily. Then comes Purdue King. Then comes private turns toward the inside. Regal Classic is next, followed by Jim's Orbit. After that, it's Brian's time. Keep post on the far outside. Then Risen Star. Then Granakis, followed by Intensive Command. Cephas is second last. And the trailer is Lively One with Bill Shoemaker. They go to the far turn and it's still winning colors showing the way after the half and 46 and four and three quarters when 111 and two. And no one has challenged her yet.
1: 49er, despite her poor starting position, had broke out fast, and her rider, Pat Day, was urging him toward winning colors. Day steered him toward the inner rail, knowing that the few seconds of sideways movement was adding more strain, but there was no other way to win it. 49er took second, just behind winning colors. Now the job was to keep with her, then push on the final stretch. The first quarter mile was running 23 seconds flat, way too fast, according to some of the fans in the know. Pat Day saw the timer as well, and let 49er drop back slightly, believing that Winning Colors was going ridiculously fast. It couldn't and wouldn't last. Winning Colors was running at 7-2 to two odds, meaning a $2 bet, if she won, would pay $7 in addition to the 2 The reason the payout is flexible is because the payout percent changes depending upon the amount of money wagered. Odds can shift greatly in the last minutes before the windows close, so many serious betters wait until the final moments. Pat Day, riding 49er, allowed another horse to take second place to Winning Colors, an unheard of move in racing, Pat Day choosing to let 49er save his strength. When the stretch turn came, Winning Colors was four lengths ahead going into the turn, and then, stunning the crowd, she accelerated through the turn, and the leggy gray opened the lead to six lengths, and the crowd was going wild. Stevens urged Winning Colors with his arms and whispered to her, Let's go, girl, now.
0: Along the inside, proper reality has gained ground and moved into second. Seeking the gold is racing third. 49ers fourth. And private terms on the outside, fifth as they come to the top of the stretch. She's led from the start. Every pole a winning one. And it's winning colors showing the way as they scraped away in the lane. Winning colors doing it just like Dewey Lucas said she would. Taking command and drawing off. Now she's in front by three. Proper reality a second. Here comes 49 two-year-old champ from last year, putting in a bid on the outside, and down the stretch they come, winning colors in front, here comes 49er on the outside, Lucas and Stevens, it's a driving finish, winning colors by a head, wire to wire with Gary Stevens in the iron, it was 49er on the outside, coming from uh, far back at the head of the stretch to narrow the gap and lose it by only a half length, show, but Winning Colors, who defeated the boys in the Santa Anita Derby by grabbing the lead and never looking
1: back. When Winning Colors had finished her post-race run and Gary Stevens led letter to the winner's circle, Klein was there to accept the trophy. He said, I would really like to salute all the women in America. This one's for all you gals. For a few minutes, Lucas stayed in his out-of-the-way space. It was an extremely emotional moment, and all he could do was sit there "'and let it all sink in. "'All the critics and all the slings and arrows he'd suffered "'trying to bring a filly to this point "'were running through his mind. "'Then he rose and walked down to the winner's circle. "'He watched as his son Jeff and Luis "'walked winning colors into the circle. Hundreds of people surrounded them wanting to share their congratulations. "'As Gary Stevens dismounted, "'he saw Jockey Velasquez, who shouted over to him, "'I guess you do know how to win a derby.' Stevens yelled back, The last 25 seconds were the longest 25 seconds of my life. We tried to steal it, and that's what we did. Louis draped a heavy mantle of roses over winning color's neck, and tears could be seen streaming down his face. In Louis's pocket was his Caesars Palace ticket, now worth $200,000. And so, with the winning of the prestigious Kentucky Derby, Winning Colors became only the third Philly to win the Kentucky Derby in its 135 years, following the Hall of Famers Regret, who won in 1915, and Genuine Risk, who won in 1980. In the next big race, the Preakness, Winning Colors finished third to Risen Star, who went on to win the Belmont by 14 lengths, with Winning Colors coming in sixth. She went on to Philly competition, had a couple of close races, and then returned to the track as a four-year-old, where she won twice in seven starts before being retired with a career record of 8, 3, and 1. She lived a long and healthy life, dying at age 23. She left a great reminder that girls have just as much heart and will to win as boys, and in sports where body size and strength determine the winner, like horse racing, girls can occasionally beat the odds and win there as well. And the world can't help but stand up and cheer. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We love reviews, and here are a few recent ones for you. Great! 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Five stars. Great show to listen to, taking the mundane working day and turning it interesting and entertaining. Been hooked from the first show I took a chance to listen to as a newbie podcast listener. Thank you very much. Down from Good Oldie, Apple Podcast Canada. And this one, great show, 1001 Heroes, five stars. I wasn't a very good student in school, and I wish I had this podcast then. You've piqued my interest in history. Down from Maximus Operatus, Apple Podcast U.S. Thank you both so very much for taking the time to send us these reviews. They're greatly, greatly appreciated. We'll be back next Sunday at noon Eastern time with another story. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.